Good news, we're going to finish 1 Corinthians today, 1 Corinthians 16. Remember, we took a break from Matthew's Gospel this morning. We hit the beginning of 1 Corinthians 16, uh, although we didn't hit all the verses equally. We did jump into 1 Corinthians 16. And so today, we're going to finish 1 Corinthians, and then the next week, we'll be in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever preached. So today, we're looking at the well-done journey, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 24, And the point that I want you to understand this morning is love well and you will live well. Love well and you will live well. I'm so thankful for Paul's continuous emphasis on the concept of love and how important that is. And in verse 14, he clearly says, do everything in love. And the concept of love will be pervasive in the message today. Uh, Since today, um, we had a baptism. She'll be out here in a minute. Uh, I need to uh, sprinkle in and include uh, a conversation with Kyra as I encourage her in her Christian walk. And that's really the Christian walk, the, really it's, it's a journey, right? When you, people say, What's, tell me about your journey, tell me about your story, right? And in the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're, you're on a journey, right? Paul refers to it in Hebrews chapter 12 as, as a race that has been marked out for you, that, that God Your creator has ordained every step that you will take before you take that step. And as a believer, your race has been marked out for you and you have to run it with perseverance. And as we run that race, life can be difficult sometimes, right? Uh, Life can be full of lions and tigers and bears sometimes, right? Oh my. And and so I'll have to send a picture of this, kind of this later on, but but really, when you think about the story of the Wizard of Oz and how she lands, you know, in this strange place with this, this tree that's, you know, mean to her, you know, and, and she begins her trip down the yellow brick road. It's, it's not easy traveling. There's, there's, there are trials and tribulations along the way. But thankfully, Dorothy has friends with her. She has people with her on the journey. And as Kyra, as she starts out on this faith journey, she's already started, but it's she kind of tells the world she's starting it through baptism. She has, she has friends with her, right? She has the body of Christ. So if you're with Kyra this morning and you're going to be with her on that faith journey, say amen. Amen, amen right? We're with you, Kyra. <laughs> and she's surely as I'm standing here, Kyra is going to go through some difficult times. And so we want to see how Paul is going to encourage us, encourage Kyra as we face the difficulties of life with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he begins there in verse 13, very strong words. He says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. He says, you know the house, that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. In Achaia, just as I'll forget, say it later, Achaia is, is uh, so this is southern Greece, the Peloponnesus, these little fingers of six down. Corinth is down here. Achaia is up here. The gospel went there, okay? And Stephanus trusted Christ. He's one of the first converts. They have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors in it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaius arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. 
Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. So do the churches that so does the church that meets at their house. And and one of the things that I, I may not bring this up later, you know, one thing we get from the community, we talk to people who are their workers. You now we they're like house church people. Like, we only do house church. I'm like our church started as a house church. Okay, we just it's it's a lot meeting in the house all the time. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. In the final part of the letter, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have in your word. Lord, please, as we go through this passage uh, bit by bit, Lord, please teach us the lessons that you would have us on. Holy Spirit, please transform our hearts. Please teach us. Please cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ now as we spend time in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the point is this morning, if you love well, you will live well. Love well and you will live well. And as, as the, the first point in the text, though, is love your faith and you will live well. Love your faith and you will live well. Kyra, love your faith and you will live well. He says... Be on guard, stand firm in the faith. And I have, in the faith there is after stand firm, and really it's, it's attached to all the other imperatives there. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. So the first imperative, the first command there is, is be on guard in the faith. Be on guard. You probably have to think about it in your own life. Every day when you wake up, you need to be on guard. You need to think probably as Nathan thinks. I, I've been around some police officers. We had one in our, our life uh, for years, Dave Davis. And, and Dave, the way he thinks when he walks into a room is like totally different than the way that I think. I mean, he's constantly looking at different things, you know, danger here, danger there, you know, my position where I can see the door, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and I'm just, just kind of walking the room, da, 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 hey, what's up? you know. <laughs> and some of you walk in, you sit down, you know, uh, he says, be, be on guard. And really, the, the concept of be on guard is, wake up! Wake up! Don't be asleep. You cannot sleepwalk through life. Be sober. Think clearly. Be vigilant. Because your faith is always under attack. Christianity has been under attack since day one. It's always been under It's not just recently that we see our faith under attack. We read more about it because we have so, so much access to information. But in our country, a country founded on Christian principles, I didn't call it a Christian nation, I said a country founded on Christian principles, uh, and, and it's been that way, it's operated that way for a while. Uh, the past 20 years have been pretty scary, right? And, and the attack that Christianity has faced in the United States is like it's never seen before. An author named Mary Eberstadt wrote a book. I think it's back from 2014. It's dangerous to believe. So wake up. There is a new vigorous secularism that's catapulted mockery of Christianity. She writes, traditional American Christians have long been on the losing end of the culture war contest, on school prayer, same-sex marriage, and other issues. But recent events, including the Supreme Court decision overruling Texas restrictions on abortion clinics, and the mandate that employers provide access to contraception have added to the sense that religious expression is under attack. 
According to a Pew Research poll, and this was back in 2014, the percentage of those who say they are absolutely certain that God exists from 2007 to 2014 dropped from 71% to 63%. Right? There's this, at that time, there's this new atheism that's coming on the scene. She continues, This new vigorous secularism has catapulted mockery of Christianity and other forms of religious traditionalism into the mainstream. Right? It's, it's okay to mock Christianity. You can say anything you want about Christians, and there is, you have nothing to pay for. It says, uh, she continues, this traditionalism, I'm sorry, the new low is set on what counts as civil criticism of people's most cherished beliefs. In some precincts, the faith of our fathers is controversial as never before. Some of the faithful have paid unexpected prices for their beliefs lately. The teacher in New Jersey suspended for giving a student a Bible. The football coach in Washington placed on leave for saying a prayer on the field at the end of the game. The fire chief in Atlanta fired for self-publishing a book defending Christian and moral teaching. The Marine court-martialed for pasting a Bible verse above her desk. The mother criticized for teaching her children from the Bible. Anti-Christian activists hurl smears like bigot and hatred Americans who hold traditional beliefs about marriage and accuse anti-abortion Christians of waging a supposed war on Women, our faith is under attack. Christianity is under attack. And it is worsening, but it, that worsening is, is magnified or amplified by what we read on social media. Okay, and, and Kyra, you have a tough road ahead of you. You're the leader in the family spiritually. Understand that the faith that you profess now is under attack. And when your kids go to school, they're hearing what is antithetical or against what you believe and teach. So we have to be on guard, right? Paul talks about this in other places. That concept of being awake, of being sober. Being sober doesn't mean just not drunk. It means you need to be alert to what's going on around you. And the best way for you to be alert, brothers and sisters, is to have a Christian worldview. That means you look at the worldview through the filter and the lens of the Bible. Otherwise, you aren't seeing the world rightly. Peter, in his famous passage, be alert and sober of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Kyra, the devil, has, you've got a bullseye on your back. You are marked out for Satan. He wants to destroy you and your family. You have to be sober-minded. You have to be alert. You have to protect your family. So you need to resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is what? Undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So as Paul says, be on guard. He's saying, wake up to the world around you. It's no friend to your faith. Love your faith. Do not let the world dictate or diminish the content of your faith. And so you have to know what you believe. If you're going to defend something, you have to know what you believe. You have to know the irreducible minimum of the Christian faith so that you can stand firm, right? Stand firm in the faith. That concept of, st- the concept of standing firm is, is to be prepared. It's, it's to erect something. It is to make firm. It is to be firmly resolved. And Paul, throughout this letter to the church in Corinth, he's resolved about certain things. And the, the, the main thing that he starts out with is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, you guys are caught up in this worldly wisdom, Okay, all this esoteric knowledge, you think you've arrived spiritually? 
and you are downplaying the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woe to me if I don't preach Christ and Christ crucified. So he says in 1 Corinthians, he says, you need to stand firm on the gospel. Know what you believe, you have to know the gospel. For the message of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Friends, the message of the gospel is foolishness to this world. Why do I need somebody to forgive me of my sins? Sin's not that bad. It's just a construct. You may say it's sin, but I don't say it's sin. And there's a penalty to this? And you're saying that some man lived a sinless life and then he died on the cross? What what is that stuff? Christianity is mocked. And Paul says, he tells us 2,000 years ago, he said, look, they're going to call it foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Kyra, if I can warn you about anything, is when you are on the internet, when you are reading, if the person and work of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ is somehow dismissed, and it sounds... That doesn't sound like what Pastor Jay taught or what they taught this church. You need to run from it, okay? Stand firm in the gospel. But the gospel is based on the word of God, right? The word of God is diminished, right? It's just a bunch of stories, a bunch of made-up stories. And you're saying that, that the Bible is special? Come on, look at all the contradictions in the Bible, it was written by all these different people, and some people have said they write it. They didn't really write it, and, and you believe that book? The church at Corinth, they thought they had arrived and moved past the message of the gospel contained in the Word of God. Right? This age wants to tell you that what we believe is foolishness, and the book from which what we believe comes is foolishness. Paul says, stand firm in God's word. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by human standards, the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. Kyra, if anybody calls you a fool for following Christ or a fool for teaching your kids the word of God, just thank God for the persecution. Thank them for saying something and move on, okay? People aren't going to agree with what you agree. Thirdly, stand firm in the gospel, stand firm in God's word, but stand firm in Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the core of the gospel. Christ is enough. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, and this is a pretty amazing passage, right? People were coming into the assembly of God's people under the guise of speaking in tongues, and they were actually saying, Jesus, be cursed. And Paul's like, you don't say that by the power of the Holy Spirit. If the indwelling Spirit of God is living within you. You do not diminish the person and the work of Jesus Christ ever. And conversely, nobody can say Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You have to stand firm on who Jesus Christ is. It's interesting, these studies, the state of theology done by Ligonier Ministries, they ask this question, was Je- Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. True or false? This is a true or false question. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. All right, this is taken, this is the sample from evangelicals. These are people who claim to be Christians. You understand? This is not the unchristian uh, sample. 
66% of the people who were sampled are not sure or agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. You understand the problems here? If Jesus Christ is not God incarnate, then your faith is worthless. You're living a futile life. You're living a lie. Because if Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh, flesh, his death on the cross was not sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins. You cannot diminish the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So you have to stand firm, Kyra, on what you believe. You've decided to follow Jesus. The cross before you, the world behind you, no turning back, no turning back. So as you've woken up, as you're standing firm on your faith, the next thing he says is, be courageous, be courageous. When I think of courageous people, I can't help but think about Sly, man. He's aged a little bit, hasn't he? He can still get business done. I don't even know what kind of gun that is he's holding. Rambo. Rambo, he's kind of more... That concept of courageous. I hate to say it, ladies, but it means to be manly. I mean, that's, that's the, the word that's given to us in the Greek text is, is to be manly. Okay? So I know this, in this day and age, you can't say that kind of stuff, but to be manly, to be an adult male... Okay, to, to be one who acts courageously. So adult male distinct from a boy. So really the idea here in view is maturation, the maturation of, of a person where they go from ignorance to knowledge or insight. They go from you know, lack of information to, to better and more information. And when we have information, we can act courageously. When we have knowledge, knowledge is power, we can act Courageously. Confident action based on accurate knowledge. Right? So if you're laying in bed at night, it's all quiet, and all of a sudden you hear bang, 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 and your child runs in the room. There's somebody in the house, there's somebody in the house. Ah! You know, they hop in bed, they land on top of you. And you're thinking, I left the window open downstairs. It's hitting the blinds, they're banging back and forth. That's all it is, right? The child doesn't know that, right? They, they don't have that knowledge, therefore they're afraid. They don't have courage. But you, on the other hand, you're the me. I'm the one who left the window open because I'm a derelict, and the wind's blowing, and it's knocking. So I have knowledge. So I, have, I can courageously walk down the stairs because I have knowledge. You understand? And so that's the way this concept of courageous is being used here. And so Paul's admonition is this. You have to grow, Kyra. You have to grow in the grace. Of, that's Peter. Peter says, you have to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in his letter here, he says, stop thinking like infants. Don't be like a child anymore. You have to think like an adult. Thinking like an adult isn't thinking how you do adult things. It's thinking like a mature Christian. You will only mature as a Christian in as much as you have the word of God open in front of you as you're reading it and praying through it. It's not going to occur by osmosis. You can't just sleep on your Bible. I'm not saying you do that. Okay, I'm just don't. It's not going to work. So, so throughout the scriptures, we're told, right? First Corinthians 14. Stop thinking like children in regard to evil. Be infants, right? This concept of growing in knowledge and maturation. Paul says, "When I was a child, oops. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man." 
I put away, I put the ways of childhood behind me, right? Whatever you think about that passage and what it means to 1 Corinthians 13, the point is there is a process of maturation by which you take in the word of God and you're transformed into the image of Christ, the most courageous man who ever lived. In Ephesians, Paul says it like this. He says, look, I want you to achieve the unity of the faith in full knowledge of the Son of God. I want you to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He says, then you will no longer be infants. Then you will not lack courage because you don't have knowledge because you haven't matured in your faith. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth and what we will love, we will what? Grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who sits ahead, and that is Christ. And so you need to stand, you need to, you need to be awake, you need to be alert, you need to stand guard, you need to stand firm, you need to be courageous, and you need to be strong. You need to be strong in the faith. Strong in the faith. That word to be strong is passive. All right, it's a passive verb. So it's like, okay, I want you to be strong, Kyra. I want you to go start pumping the iron. I want you to go start pumping that theological iron and get your muscles big. I mean, it's, there's, there's a place for that. There's a place for you strengthening yourself. That's important. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But what he's referring to is being strengthened. It's passive as you are as you are standing guard, as you're standing firm, as you're being courageous, you are strengthened by God. Which is why Paul would say, after so much suffering, right, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me, who gives me the strength. All right, this isn't some toss-around verse to put on your wrist so that you can throw enough touchdowns in the football game. I can do all things. This, no, this is as you... Fight the good fight of faith as you live the Christian life as as a mother trying to lead your children into Christ, as you live in a sin-cursed world on those days where you feel like you cannot go on, that you want to give up, that you want to walk away. Remember that you can do it through Christ who will give you the strength. Because you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's an amazing thought. I can't understand this. I can't wrap my mental hooks around it, but we're told in Colossians 1.27, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have Jesus in you. You have Jesus with you. You have Jesus before you. You have Jesus all around you. It's all Jesus. One, one writer says this. He says, when grace happens, when you come to faith in Christ, Christ enters. It's a beautiful truth. So, Jay, Caleb, your mom has Christ in her. Be different. Treat her with respect. Because she's your mom, but she has Christ in her. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This writer says, for many years I missed this truth. I believed all the other propositions. Christ for me, Christ with me, Christ ahead of me. But I never imagined that Christ was in me. I can't blame my deficiency in Scripture. Paul refers to the indwelling Christ 216 times. John mentions his presence 26 times. The writer goes on, No other religion 
Or philosophy makes that claim. No other movement implies the living presence of its founder in his followers. Muhammad does not dwell in Muslims. Buddha does not dwell in Buddhists. Influence, instruct, yes, but occupy, no. The mystery of Christianity is summarized in Colossians 1.27. You have Christ in you. So Kyra, absolutely no, no, you can't do it. You will fail miserably if you do it in your own strength. I don't care how big your muscles are. But Christ can do it through you as you submit to him through his word. Christ in you, the hope of glory, you will remain strong. And can I just throw in, Christ is in you. But again, at the beginning, remember you had the tin man and the scarecrow? Okay, you're not thrown out into the spiritual world by yourself. No, you have the church. You have what's called the ordinary means of grace. Right, so as God strengthens you, as Christ is in you, you have his word and you have prayer. I cannot emphasize that enough. God's word and prayer, God's word and prayer. But you also have fellowship. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? You have the opportunity to serve and to be served, and through that you are transformed into the image of the greatest servant who ever lived, Jesus Christ. And you have corporate worship times. These are all given to you as God's grace to see you grow and be the person that God wants you to be, Kyra. So Paul says, stand on your guard. Be on your guard in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And then he says, do everything in love. Don't you love that? Love is is that magical, wonderful glue that brings everything together. So, first point. You may have forgotten where we're at. If you love well, you'll live well. You need to love your faith and you will live well. Secondly, Love the church, and you will live well. Water baptism, and I, and I mentioned this earlier, symbolizes your initiation into the church, the body of Christ. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were baptized by one spirit into one body. This baptism, that's another part of the symbolism that is there. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12, Kyrie says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, each member belongs to all the others. You belong to, You don't just belong to yourself. You're not an island floating around. You belong to a body. It'd be a weird thing if your toe was separated from your body just laying on the floor. You tried to do that last week, didn't you? It's another story. Each member belongs to the others. You belong to each other. You need the body of Christ. We need each other. And so Paul says, love the church and you will live well. One of the important things of church, and I talk about this often, is that body life validates faith. People profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yeah, I believe the gospel. I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. He rose from the dead. I believe that it's only by faith, you know, by grace through faith that you're saved. And where, do you, where do you worship? Where do you fellowship? I, I just kind of do my own church, man. I'm just, I'm just kind of on my own because, you know, institutional church, those men, these guys on a power trip, I just kind of do my own thing, right? That's just... I, you know, I, just, I can worship on Sundays. I kind of go out. I go out to Belle Isle. I sit on the side there. I'm by myself. And I can read my Bible. And I put on some Christian songs. I just kind of do my own thing. I get strengthened that way. Like, you're headed for hell. Right? That's, that's so unbiblical. Right? What do you do with all the one another passages? How do you validate your faith? By this, all men will know you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. Are you just loving yourself? So all these 
validate the fact that you believe. And friends, it's easy to say you love people if you're all on your own, but kind of mix it up with other people who are working through their sanctification, who have sin issues that they're working through, and you're called to love them. And then tell me how easy it is to love. So all these are part of your life, Kyra. So this, this is what ministry in the church is. Ministry in the church isn't something that happens in these four walls necessarily. It does, it does happen here. Not the nursery, which is a beautiful ministry. It is a part of serving and love. That's, but it's, it's, it's the whole sphere of your existence. You're in Christ. You're in the body of Christ. And this is, this is what love is. The primary characteristic of a believer. And it validates faith. That's why he says, do everything in love. And so as Paul finishes up this letter, he starts to talk about some people that he's interacted with and, and how he's been blessed by other people in the body of Christ and how he's been a blessing to other people. He says, you know, he says, you know that the household of Stephanus, that they were converts in Achaia and that they devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. It's an important statement. They devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. So the first point here is you love the church and you live well is that loving church requires devotion and hard work. It's not easy being a part of a church. It's not. It's hard work. It takes devotion. Think about the things that you're devoted to. I can list a few. My own. It's, to be devoted to something is to be continually giving your attention and your time to it. It's continuous. He says, they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. And then he says, that they labor at it, that they toil, that they work with great exertion. This doesn't sound like, friends, this doesn't sound like showing up at a, at a big, that's not what big churches. is, showing up at a church, because you like hearing some music, and you like getting some warm fuzzies, and you hear the message, and then you come in, and then you leave. Is that what this sounds like? No, it's not. Devotion and hard work. Secondly, though, it requires intentional encouragement. Look at this text. He says, I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaius relieved, uh, arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. So what was lacking? What's he talking about here? Well, Paul was lacking information about what was going on in the church of Corinth. Paul had started this church, friends. We're going to lose sight of that. If you, if you work hard and plan a church, it's a big deal for you, right? It's, it's a big deal. And they were dissing him. They were bad-mouthing him. They are dismissing who he was as an apostle, and so he's sitting over in Ephesus, and he's getting kind of these weird reports, and he, like, he couldn't email, he couldn't text, he couldn't call him, he couldn't FaceTime him, and he wants to know, what's going on here? Because I'm getting all these bad reports. But some friends made the trip, and they came, and they said, hey, this is what's going on. Yeah, there is some bad stuff going on, but let me ease your mind. There are people who are turning to faith in Jesus Christ. They're growing in their faith. They're learning how to love. 
So that's what was lacking, and it refreshed his spirit to hear what was going on. There was this word of encouragement, and, and you need that, Kyra. You, you, need, you need that. You need to come in together with other believers to be encouraged. You can't do it on your own. You weren't meant to do it on your own. Dorothy never would have made it to Oz without the tin man and the cowardly lion, would she? When you think about it, she never would have made it. Kyra, you need the church. The church needs you, Kyra. Don't ever diminish your spiritual gifts in the church. You've been gifted by God with a spiritual gift. Never walk into the church and think, I'm just a nothing nobody and I can't do anything. I have nothing to offer. Don't ever think that. It's a lie. The church needs you. The third way, loving the church and live well, is this, that loving the church involves hospitality. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so do the churches that meet at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss, right? So we see this warmth in the church. We see this this affection, this holy kiss. What that means, I don't know. I've been involved in a holy kiss before, and when a lady does this, it's really uncomfortable, okay? I'm just telling you. But there there was affection. Oh, I want you to have affection for one another. It blesses my heart. One of the things I love about the Wednesday Bible study, for you guys that don't come, it's fine because I know you're working with whatever, but the Wednesday Bible study, the women love each other. They're very affectionate. I love the, the way that they treat one another. I haven't seen a holy kiss yet. But the issue of this, right in the center there, is, is hospitality, right? He says, loving the church involves kindness and hospitality. The word for hospitality means, literally means, it, it means love for strangers. Xenophilos. Love for strangers. So it means if you're going to love strangers, you might have to love somebody that you don't know very well. I don't know them. Well, you might have to get to know them a little better. And if they show up on your front porch and they're a brother or sister in Christ, and this is what we're dealing with is brothers and Christ, is that you, you need to be welcome them into your home. You need to be hospitable. For those of you who interact with people from uh, the other cultures in our community, you know how warm and welcoming people from Bangladesh and Yemen are. Come on in. You don't know me. I don't care. Come on in. They put, they put us to shame. So you have to ask yourself, why is it that you're not being hospitable to people? Why? Why not? Do you need to like clean your house? Whatever you have to do, just get your house ready. Don't set the standards so high just because so-and-so shows hospitality this way doesn't mean that you can't show hospitality because you don't think you can show it that way. You need to be unique in who you are and how you show hospitality, but you need to be hospitable. So loving the church requires devotion and hard work, intentional encouragement. It requires hospitality. So love your faith and you will live well. Love the church and you will live well. Love the Lord and his certain return and you will live well. Let's look at the text. Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Paul had an amanuensis. So what Paul wrote, because of his vision, could be he's like me. If I was to write a letter, nobody could read it, okay? But when Paul was writing his letters, he was dictating to somebody. Somebody was writing it down for him. Maybe then Sosthenes, we're not really sure. He says, but I'm, I'm closing this up because I want you to know 
that this letter is for me. Here's my chicken scratch, and nobody's scratch looks like mine. Paul says, I write this in my own hand. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement. If anybody does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Now, why is he finishing up this letter, right? The concept of being cursed is literally to fall under the judicial wrath of God. That's like hell. Let that person be consigned to hell. Let that person be damned if they do not love the Lord. Well, I love the Lord. I, 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 I've read his word. I love him. I love what he, I love what he did. A great man. Was well, that enough? I mean, how, do, how do you know if somebody loves the Lord? Well, I, I believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. I, I love him. Well, that's good. That's a start. How did Jesus say that, you, that, that, that people will know that you love him? You, you obey his commands. You obey his commands. All right, so if you're not obeying the commands of God, I'm not saying be legalistic, but somebody who's come to faith in Jesus Christ should obey the commands of God as the validation of their faith. What's God's primary command? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbors yourself. That means love the church body. And so we could say this, that the primary identifier of those who love the Lord is a love for God's people. Right? We, don't, we don't want to disconnect what's being said here from what Paul has said previously in the letter and what he has emphasized in the letter. I want you guys to love each other. When you guys have a meal together, invite everybody. Don't count people out. When you do the, when you do the Lord's Supper, don't get drunk beforehand. Don't, don't do that. You know, for heaven's sake. He says, look, when you're standing up in church, don't make a big deal of yourself. Love other people in the church. Include them. Get them their spiritual gifts going, right? It's, and so he would say, not loving the Lord is equal to not loving God's people. Well, then he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person what be cursed. Come, Lord. That's where we get that word Maranatha from. Maranatha. Tha is come. So if you're flipping around, Marana is, is Lord or Master. So Maranatha. Come, Lord. Paul is looking for the certain return of Jesus Christ. And he's looking for the certain return of Jesus Christ. And he looks forward to it. He's loving it because he knows that the return of the Lord will be the judgment for those who do not love the Lord. Negatively, right? There are people in Corinth who hate Paul and are no friend of the faith. They are, they are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they need to be cast out of the church. Paul says, look, God's going to judge them, and when Jesus comes, I will get my vindication. Positively, though, the return of the Lord will mean great blessing for those who love God's people. Thereby demonstrating a love for the Lord, right? We're going to be blessed when the Lord returns. We're going to be blessed as we love God's people. Last point here as I close. Remember, it is only by God's grace that you can love at all. Kyra, I emphasize the strength of God, the power of God in your life, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Every, every minute, every second, every millisecond of your life is all grace, right? Because as nice as you are, 
Before you came to Christ, uh, faith in Christ, you were a wicked sinner headed for hell. You were in rebellion against God. But in love, in love, because of his great mercy, he made you alive in Christ, and he's transformed you. Okay, and that's all grace. These two beautiful children, it's all grace. The fact that you were born into a godly family, your mom, all grace. And Paul recognizes this at the end of the text. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with you. Right, we hear that word all the time, right? We're Grace Baptist Church. We hear the word grace and we think, grace, that's good, it's grace. Somebody say the grace, grace. We lose sight of how important grace is. Kyra, you were saved by grace. You deserve punishment in hell. But God redeemed you because of his grace. You were forgiven by grace, though you don't deserve it. God wiped your slate clean, Kyra. All because of his grace. Kyra, right now you're sustained by grace and you will walk by grace in this journey of the Christian life. And that race is marked out before you. You're healed by grace. That heart that's been wounded and broken is healed by grace. You are liberated by grace. You are given talents by grace. You are used by grace. You are kept saved by grace. You are transformed by grace. You are matured by grace. And His grace will lead you home. It's all grace. It's all God. So if you love well, you will live well. And by grace, one day you'll stand before Jesus and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you charge in many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Love well, live well, then you will finish well. Do everything in love, Kyra. Do everything in love. The well done journey. I know that that's my prayer for all of us at this church, that we would love well, live well, and finish well. Uh, and I'm thankful for you guys that helped me in this journey. I mean, you guys may think, oh, J- Pastor Jay, he's the one who dispenses all this. I mean, he's the one who's you know, getting us through this. You know. But I need you guys. I need you, and I love you. I need you. And I'm thankful that I have you on this journey of faith that we're all on together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your great love and your great grace, Lord. And I pray that you would halt, cause us all to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would somehow, in some way, in some measure, be able to comprehend the greatness of your grace in our lives. Father, I pray that your Spirit would work in us so that we would love well and live well. And Lord, especially today for Kyra, dear God, please enable her to love well and live well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing Amazing Grace.